Episode 17, The Punic Wars. Hi, my name is Clayton Mills. Welcome to A Short Walk Through Our Long History, a podcast where we look at the events of history and try to see how those events shaped our modern world. This is Episode 17, The Punic Wars. Okay, quick administrative note here before we get started. I have realized that my episode numbering system has gotten a bit off. My numbers haven't been matching the number assigned by the podcast apps. So last episode, which I called episode 15, was numbered 16 by the apps. So in this episode, I've corrected that. And from now on, the episode numbers should match. Sorry about that. Rookie mistake. Anyway, back to Rome. Throughout Roman history, from the early days of the Republic to the last days of the Empire, Rome was threatened by barbarian tribes. They came marching down from Northern Europe every couple hundred years, and occasionally they captured and burned Rome. But Rome's biggest threat was not the barbarians, at least not until the very end. At the height of the strength of the Roman Empire, Rome faced their most dangerous threat, and they also suffered their very worst and most embarrassing military defeats. That threat came from the city of Carthage, and especially their great general, Hannibal. The Romans called the wars with Carthage the Punic Wars because the Carthaginians were descended from the Phoenicians, and the Latin word for Phoenicians and Carthaginians as a people is Punicus, so therefore the Punic Wars. There were three Punic Wars, but it was the Second Punic War that was the real threat to Rome. Now, one of the reasons that the barbarians are not the biggest enemy of Rome is that they tended to come to Rome, sack and burn it, and then go back to the north, usually complaining about the heat, the traffic, and the expensive touristy things around Rome. Hannibal, on the other hand, was really trying to bring Rome to its knees and make Carthage the dominant power in the Mediterranean. As we will see, Hannibal beat the Romans at their own game time and again and really almost destroyed the Republic at the peak of its power. Hannibal definitely deserves consideration in the discussion of the greatest generals of all time. I mean, he's up there with Napoleon, Julius Caesar, and Alexander the Great. Now, oddly enough, Carthage and Rome really aren't anywhere near each other. Carthage is about 400 miles away from Rome if you go straight across the Mediterranean Sea. To get from Rome to Carthage on land would take months. Even on ships, it took a couple of weeks because most ships don't sail just straight across. It's too stormy across the middle of the Mediterranean. Ships sailed from port to port, never getting too far from land. So why did these sort of distant neighbors go to war? It has to do with the geography of the Mediterranean. If you look at a map of the Mediterranean Sea, Italy sticks downward right in the middle of the Mediterranean, and along with the island of Sicily, it kind of makes a natural split between the eastern Mediterranean and the western Mediterranean. Carthage was on the North African coast, kind of right at the spot where Sicily points at Africa, kind of right on the line between east and west. Google it, look at it on a map, it makes much more sense that way. The Carthaginians had sailed from Phoenicia originally, but by the time of the Roman Republic, Carthage was the biggest 
wealthiest city in the whole Mediterranean. Also, Carthage had very little useful land of its own because not too far south of Carthage is the Sahara Desert. So Carthage had become rich by creating a seaborne trading empire, trading with other places all over the Mediterranean. They had set up colonies in Sicily, Spain, and along the North African coast. This is where the conflict comes in. Rome was also interested in Sicily and Spain. And Rome was interested in establishing its own trading empire. As the two biggest, richest, and most empire-minded cities in the Mediterranean, it was probably inevitable that they would begin to fight over who got to subjugate the rest of the tribes and cities of the area. Also, there's an epic Latin poem by the Roman poet Virgil called the Aeneid, and that makes the case that the conflict goes back even further. The Aeneid is the story of Aeneas who escaped from the ruins of Troy at the end of the war with the Greeks. That's the Iliad, of course. Aeneas goes on a journey which is very much like Odysseus's Odyssey on his way to find a new homeland. Virgil was very much trying to replicate the tone and the storyline of the Odyssey and use it to give Rome its own historic, heroic origin story. And in the end, Aeneas supposedly does come to Rome and start a line of kings that leads to Romulus and Remus. But on the way, Aeneas's journey took him to Carthage, where he had a bit of an affair with the queen whose name was Dido. Then, Aeneas spurned her and sailed on to go found Rome. He had stuff to do and he couldn't stick around. You know how it is. But Dido cursed him as he left, and Virgil uses this cursing to set the stage for the later conflict between Rome and Carthage. By the way, Virgil wrote the Aeneid after all three Punic Wars were over, so his audience was already familiar with the hatred between the two cities. The First Punic War started with a dispute in Sicily. The island of Sicily was half controlled by Carthage, and the other half was controlled by the Sicilian city of Syracuse. The city of Messina, which is the closest city on the island of Sicily to the mainland of Italy, had been captured by a group of pirates and mercenaries. Residents of the city of Messina sent emissaries to both Rome and Carthage asking for help, which, in retrospect, might not have been a good idea. Carthage got there first, drove out the pirates, and took control of the city. Then the Romans showed up with a stronger force, and they decided to just go ahead and liberate the city themselves. Then, as they tended to do, they kept on conquering land all over Sicily. The Carthaginians sent more armies to Sicily, and so, for the next 23 years, they would be fighting over Sicily and the other Mediterranean islands. That's the First Punic War. At the beginning of the First Punic War, the Romans were definitely better in terms of their army, but they had no navy at all. So, when a Carthaginian warship ran aground on the Italian coast, the Romans captured it and they made a bunch of copies of it. This first Roman fleet took to the sea and was promptly captured by the Carthaginians. Oops. But the Romans are the Romans, and they were always the most insanely determined people ever. So they just started over, and within two years, they had built a fleet as big as Carthage's, and now they had experienced sailors. 
And on the other side, the Carthaginians got better at land fighting. They gave control of their Sicilian armies to a man named Hamilcar Barca. He held his own against the Romans in Sicily, but as the war dragged on, both sides got tired of fighting. So, after 23 years, they took a break. Carthage, for political reasons, stopped supporting Hamilcar's army in Sicily. So Hamilcar surrendered, and the Romans took full control of Sicily. That was the end of the First Punic War, but it set the stage for the second. Hamilcar took a force of his own men, and he set up a Carthaginian colony in Spain, which he called, originally enough, New Carthage. He left his family in Carthage, including his son Hannibal Barca, who was about nine at the time. But Hamilcar did not leave before he passed on to his son a deep, deep hatred of the Romans. Hamilcar fought in Spain and he gained control of most of southern Spain for Carthage, but he was killed there in 229 BC. Eight years later, the command of the Carthaginian forces in Spain fell to his son Hannibal, who was then 26 years old. In 218 BC, Hannibal took the Carthaginian army and marched north out of Spain and around through the south of Gaul, which is now France, headed for Italy. The Romans, having heard what was going on, sent a consul named Scipio with several legions to cut Hannibal off, but they were too late. Hannibal had already passed where the Roman legions landed, and he was on his way into the Alps. So now we're at the point of one of the biggest military gambles in history. Hannibal could have taken his army along the coast, which was safer, but it was narrow and it was controlled by the Romans. Instead, he chose to do something the Romans would never have expected. He marched his whole army, about 30,000 men, along with 6,000 cavalry, plus around 30 war elephants, up into the Alps through a series of narrow passes. They had to contend with early snow and bitter cold, plus hostile mountain tribes throwing things down on them. Think about Gandalf and the Fellowship trying to cross the Redhorn Gate just below Caradhras in the Fellowship of the Ring. That's the image. Despite losing a good number of men and almost all the elephants, Hannibal's army eventually made it through, and they ended up in the fertile plain of the Po River Valley, sort of the north end of Italy. There they stopped and replenished their supplies. They picked up new soldiers from the local tribes that were hostile to the Romans. The city of Rome was furious, so they sent another consul up the Po Valley with another set of legions to stop Hannibal. So two consuls, both Scipio and the new consul Longus, plus all their legions, were there to fight Hannibal. There were a few smaller battles in which Hannibal usually came up on top, and in one of those battles, Scipio was killed. Then Hannibal lured Longus into a long, narrow field next to Lake Trasimene and then attacked the Romans from hidden positions in the hills. The Romans were completely surprised, completely unprepared, and most of the two legions were destroyed. The Battle of Lake Trasimene was one of the worst battle losses ever for the Romans, but Hannibal was only getting started. He was soon going to win some even bigger battles. By the way, if you're interested in the strategy of these battles, there's a good YouTube series on Hannibal by a group called History March. That's M-A-R-C-H-E. That's pretty long, but it really does give you a good idea of what a military genius Hannibal was. 
he was able to surprise and defeat the Roman legions time and again, despite having less men in every battle. After Lake Trasimene, Hannibal could have marched right down to Rome and taken the city, but he decided not to. Instead, he attacked his way down the east coast of Italy, Rome's on the west coast, and down into central Italy. The Romans at first sent a few legions to follow Hannibal around but not attack him. But meanwhile, they raised more legions. In 216 BC, two years after Hannibal had crossed into Italy, Rome raised an army of about 100,000 men and marched them south to fight Hannibal, who at that time had about 50,000 men, half as many as the Romans. The two armies met at the town of Cannae on August the 2nd. Hannibal, fighting in the front lines with his soldiers, backed his lines up really slowly and lured the Roman army into a pocket. He then brought in his most experienced soldiers from reserve, and they came up on the sides and basically enveloped the Roman army, and then the Romans were trapped in the middle, and the Carthaginians destroyed them. More than half the Roman army was killed, and many more were wounded. Once again, Rome was basically defenseless, but Hannibal, again, didn't march up and take the city. He had himself lost a lot of men, and he needed time to rest and regroup. But the Battle of Cannae was the worst Roman defeat in battle ever, and it gave the Romans an even deeper hatred of Hannibal and Carthage. Hannibal, for his part, was amazed that the Romans would not ask him for a peace treaty. He was expecting them to come to him and sue for peace, and then they would have had to accept Carthage's terms, a reversal of the First Punic War. But Rome was not about to ask for peace. That's just not the Roman way. Rome still wanted to fight. Like the First Punic War, the Second War dragged on for years. While Hannibal was rampaging up and down through Italy, his brother Hasdrubal, I suspect there must have been a law in Carthage that said everyone's name had to be Ha-something. Anyway, Hasdrubal was in charge of the armies around Carthage. In 209 BC, Rome sent an army to Carthage, since they were still too afraid to, to attack Hannibal directly, but they weren't afraid of his brother. This new legion was under the command of more Scipio brothers, both of whom died in the fighting near Carthage. So, after the Romans withdrew, Carthage sent Hasdrubal across the sea to New Carthage. There, Hasdrubal was met by yet another Roman army, led by yet another Scipio, this one the son of one of the Scipios who had died fighting around Carthage. This young Scipio had the kind of hatred of Carthage that Hannibal had for Rome. He was also a good general. Scipio successfully besieged New Carthage, and Hasdrubal retreated and planned to march up around through Spain and across to Italy to meet his brother. But the Romans captured the messages from Hasdrubal, and then in a surprise attack, the Romans soundly defeated Hasdrubal and in the battle, he was killed. This consolidated Roman control of the coast of Spain and basically removed the last Carthaginian forces in Spain. The Romans cut off Hasdrubal's head and they transported it back to Italy, then flung it over the walls of Hannibal's camp. Of course they did. Hannibal also got the news that Carthage was not going to send him reinforcements, just like they hadn't done for his father in Sicily in the First Punic War. This was the turning of the tide of the Second Punic War. After this, young Scipio took several legions back to North Africa and besieged Carthage itself. This had exactly the effect that Scipio and Rome wanted. Carthage 
called Hannibal back from Italy, finally. He left his army behind because he had to go quickly. Perhaps he was hoping to return to them later, but he never made it back. In Carthage, he put together what army he could and eventually faced Scipio at the Battle of Zama. Scipio's disciplined and vengeful legion soundly defeated Hannibal's thrown-together army, many of whom ran in fear. Hannibal himself took refuge inside Carthage's walls and told the Carthaginian Senate that they needed to sue for peace with Rome. Carthage surrendered itself to Scipio. Rome took over 500 Carthaginian ships and burned them all, but they did not destroy the city and they did not capture Hannibal. But the Second Punic War was over. For his efforts, young Scipio gained the nickname Scipio Africanus, and he also gained the admiration of Hannibal and a reputation as one of Rome's greatest generals. A few years later, Hannibal, still in Carthage, got news of a plot by a rival family to hand him over to Rome, and so he fled from Carthage, and he went to Ephesus, and he was received by the court of Antiochus III, the ruler of the Seleucid Empire. They were considering fighting against Rome. After hearing again that people were planning to hand him over to Rome once again in Ephesus, he fled from Ephesus to Bithynia. Apparently, while Hannibal was in Bithynia, Scipio Africanus came there as part of a Roman delegation, and the Greek historian Appius says this about their meeting. It is said that at one of their meetings in the gymnasium, Scipio and Hannibal had a conversation on the subject of generalship in the presence of a number of bystanders, and that Scipio asked Hannibal whom he considered the greatest general of all time, to which the latter replied, Alexander of Macedonia. To this, Scipio assented, since he also yielded first place to Alexander. Then he asked Hannibal whom he placed next, and Hannibal replied, Pyrrhus of Epirus, because he considered boldness the first qualification of a general. And he said, it would not be possible, he said, to find two kings more enterprising than these. Scipio was rather nettled by this, but nevertheless he asked Hannibal to whom he would give the third place, expecting that he would at least receive the third. But Hannibal replied, To myself, for when I was a young man, I conquered Hispania, and I crossed the Alps with an army, the first after Hercules. As Scipio saw that he was likely to prolong his self-laudation, he said, laughing, Where would you place yourself, Hannibal, if you had not been defeated by me? Hannibal, now perceiving his jealousy, replied, In that case, I should have put myself before Alexander. Thus, Hannibal continued his own self-laudation, but he also flattered Scipio in an indirect manner by suggesting that he had conquered one who was the superior of Alexander. At the end of the conversation, Hannibal invited Scipio to be his guest, and Scipio replied that he would be so very gladly if Hannibal were not living with Antiochus, who was held in suspicion by the Romans. Thus did they, in a manner worthy of great commanders, cast aside their enmity at the end of their wars. Now, did this really happen? I don't know. Appius treated it like it was a real event, but who knows. While he was still in Bithynia, Hannibal heard yet again that people were planning on handing him over, and so instead of running or being captured by the Romans, he took poison and he killed himself. This was around 182 BC. The historians differ on the date. He left behind a note that said, Let us relieve the Romans from the anxiety they have so long experienced since they think it tries their patience too much to wait for an old man's death. Hannibal, Rome's greatest enemy, 
was dead. But this wasn't the last Punic War. In 157 BC, more than 50 years after the end of the Second Punic War, Rome sent a delegation to Carthage. That delegation included the senator and famous Roman orator Cato. They found that Carthage was thriving again and rearming itself. Once Cato returned to Rome, he started finishing all of his many speeches with the phrase, and, in conclusion, Carthage must be destroyed. The Roman Senate demanded that the Carthaginians abandon Carthage and rebuild their city ten miles inland. That's so Roman. Can you imagine being told to abandon your city and rebuild it ten miles from the coast? Of course, Carthage refused. So, Rome sent yet another army under the command of yet another Scipio, this one the grandson of Scipio Africanus. They besieged Carthage and they eventually captured it. Then, they burned it to the ground, destroyed the foundations of the buildings, and salted all the land around it so that no crops would ever grow there again. Carthage had been destroyed. Rome took control of Carthaginian territory and would eventually go on to control all of North Africa. About this same time, Rome also conquered Macedon and Greece and parts of Asia Minor, that is Turkey, and consolidated their control of nearly all of Spain. So by the year 146 BC, the Roman Republic was in control of most of the Mediterranean. However, Rome was still in deep danger, but this next danger was from within. The great success of Rome did not extend to all of its inhabitants, and as the Republic grew, so did the gap between the rich and the poor. This tension between the plebeians and the patricians would prove to be the undoing of the Roman Republic. More than the barbarians, more than even Hannibal, the Roman Republic would be destroyed by the fighting between the rich and the poor. Now, there's a lesson that we today might need to take note of. Next episode, we'll look at the end of the Roman Republic and the rise of one of history's most famous people, Julius Caesar. Caesar.